The following message by Pastor Tim is brought to you by Together in Christ. Morning. It's good to see you guys this morning. I want to reiterate what he said. Happy Father's Day to those of you who are fathers. If you have your Bibles, if you want to take those out, we're going to be in Psalm 1 this morning. Psalm chapter 1, we were in Psalm 2 last week. And hopefully we'll see how these connect together, because they do. Give you a second to get there. Psalm chapter 1. According to Psalm 1, what we will see is there's really two types of people in our world today. The blessed or the righteous, you could say, and then the wicked. And it's very important for us to understand the difference of these two groups and where we would fall within these two groups because this psalm actually also says what is the result of being in one of these groups. And it's, it really is very serious. And you may say, well, the world's more complicated than two groups of people. I would agree to that to some extent. But in what we're talking about today, there's only two, the blessed and the wicked. Follow along with me as I read Psalm 1 and then we'll, we'll dive into it together. It says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so but are like the shaft which the wind drives away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. First, I want us to look at the the struggle of Psalm 1 together, and we're going to look at this kind of verse by verse. First, looking at the godly or, or the blessed, the blessed people, and how scripture describes them here. Very first thing that we see, it says, blesses the man, first of all, who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. I think this is easy to understand. I don't think we have to go into it too awful much. But the idea of loving the things of this world, the sinful things of this world, and even striving after the things of this world are wanting it. That's what it means to, to walk in the counsel of the ungodly, to see the, the sin of this world and have a desire for it, to actually be maybe even drawn to it. It could also look like seeking the advice of the un, ungodly, respecting it more than God. And we can get caught in this very easy, I believe, and in, in just in the, the luxuries of this world or the things of this world to where Maybe we don't go to God's word first to, to say, I'm not sure what decision to make here or what the right answer is, but the world is actually telling us what the right answer is and it seems to be working. I'm gonna go that way. And we, we trust that counsel without maybe first seeking the counsel of God. It's very easy for us to, to walk in the counsel of the ungodly. And you notice there's actually a progression that's given in the first verse. It says, you walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. This could be just following along maybe with the crowd. 
stand in the path. Maybe this then is, is joining up, joining alongside, and then it takes it maybe even a, ne- a step further, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. This could even be leading the charge then. Maybe you can remember a time in your younger days where you went through all of these things. You just followed along with the crowd, but then next you were joining in with them, participating in the things that they were participating in. And then soon after that, you were actually leading the charge, maybe in this category of maybe it was wrong or whatever it may have been. I say think back because we don't often like to think of how we do that currently, even though I think we all do this. But in continuing on describing the godly, it says some things we shouldn't do, right? We just talked about those, but then it says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither. And whatever he does shall prosper. We see that the, the godly, that the, the blessed person is a, is a well-nourished man. Well-nourished in the way that this man delights in God's law, finds, finds joy in God's instruction and finds joy in God's grace and what God's law teaches us about. So much so that it says this blessed man meditates on it day and night and, and thinks about God's law, thinks about God's word and it really instructs his life and it, it's really a constant thing. Again, I, I mean, I think we should think about this as we go through this as, is this something that describes me? Do I delight in God's law? Do I, do I find great joy in God's instruction? You know, to go to his word on a, on a daily basis and to, to hear it or to hear it preach or, or taught. Do I, do I enjoy that even when it, when it pricks my heart? And then take it a step further. Do I then meditate on it? Is it really just part of my life? Something that I'm thinking about all the time so that when circumstances come up, Bible verses are popping in my head or, or maybe something that I had, had studied the week before all of a sudden springs to my mind and it actually changes my action or whatever it may be. Really, really soaking it in and making it a part of my life. The Bible describes it here as that's a person who's well-nourished, right? Who, who feels restored always because we see the blessings that God gives this blessed man. He will be planted Right? This is an act of God. This is something that God does that you cannot do. You cannot plant yourself. God must, must plant you in the right place to be, to be nourished. You go buy a, a tomato plant at the store, it doesn't plant itself. You have to plant it. You have to plant it in the right spot. You have to cultivate the soil. You've got to get it all ready for it in order for it to be nourished well. And we see here that this blessed man, is that happens to him. That God does that. That God plants him where he needs to be planted and he doesn't just plant him it says then that brings forth fruit in its season that the blessed man has this spiritual fruit in his life that he notices regularly that he feels regularly that he experiences regularly that the the people around him enjoy it also right this is a this is something that they see in his life we have, a, we have a cherry tree in our front yard and yesterday I went into the backyard and I noticed a cherry on the deck and I thought, I wonder if those cherries are ripe. And I go over to the tree and I notice 
that I'd get to enjoy it, right? I pick one of them and I eat it and it tastes good. And I notice other things are enjoying this too. I see it on the ground. I see different animals eating of the cherries. You see the things around the tree are enjoying the fruit of the tree. And it's the same in the blessed man's life also. The spiritual fruit that is produced in his life is not only a blessing to him, but a blessing to those around him as well. But then the blessings continue. Whose leaf also shall not wither. This blessed man, this righteous man, stays nourished all the time. There's complete joy in in this nourishment. You know, it's hard to talk about this without talking about food. Are talking about eating. That's what we think about, I think, when we talk about being nourished. And I don't know about you, but when we celebrate Father's Day, we usually ask the fathers of the group, what do you want, what do you want to eat? Sadly, my, my family picked hamburgers and hot dogs, which I'm done. I've had them enough. But thankfully, Amanda's family picked ribs and chicken, which I was like, yes, that's nourishing. When you eat that, you feel well nourished. You feel very satisfied and you, you're happy with what you just had and what you just ate. This is, this is the place of this man. Always feeling nourished, always having that feeling of, of joy and excitement of what God is doing in their life and his word and knowing that he is enough for him. And then this last promise, which often is taken out of context, but it says, and whatever he does shall prosper. This, this blessed man, this righteous man, what, whatever he does is going to prosper because these blessings are on him. God has planted him. God has nourished him. God has filled him with fruit. And everything he now does will go and prosper. But the psalm doesn't end there because it talks about the second group of people right after this. It talks about the wicked. It talks about the ungodly. Look at verse 4. It says, the ungodly are not so but are like the shaft which the wind drives away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. So notice how it describes the ungodly as dried up, as having no real source of nourishment. They have no firm standing on anything. I'm I'm reminded of, of Matthew chapter 7, verse 26 through 27. It says, And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. This this is the ungodly. This is the wicked. Maybe, Maybe there's a nice facade about you or about them. Maybe there's money involved. Maybe there's a family involved. Maybe there's all these things that look to be so Great, but really there is no firm standing whatsoever because they have not been planted by the Lord. There's no firm grasp. There's no firm foundation. Really, if I can think of a comparison at all, I would do the comparison of the American economy. Because if you stop just for a few weeks, what happens? We start to fall apart real quick. And so this great big hope that we put our hope in when it comes to finances, we saw really quickly during this pandemic how it can go away instantly. Instantly from a little bug that you can't even see with your eye. It can destroy what we've put all of our hopes and all of our dreams in, in a moment, in a moment. 
This is the wicked. They have their hopes in things that do not stand. And so easily they are washed to and fro, back and forth. They go to this maybe high up to being slammed down instantly. Why? Because they are dry. They are not nourished. They're not nourished at all. The Bible here describes them as shaft that just, that just blows in the wind. Maybe what's a better comparison for us? They're like cottonwood. Just flows in the wind. Does no good for anything. Get your allergies all messed up. You wonder, why do those trees even exist? That's the wicked. They just blow in the wind. And the Bible just says that in the day of judgment, they will be consumed. Because chaff will burn quickly. See, this is the time of year that I love to burn my old Christmas tree. It's one of my favorite things to do. I actually have three of them waiting at home for me to do soon. I love it because as soon as you light that thing, I mean, it goes and it's so hot and it burns so fast and it's so fascinating to me, but it's dry as a bone and that's why it works. If I were to try to light that Christmas tree right after Christmas, it, it wouldn't work. It wouldn't go up that way because I had been nourishing it with water. So it was still green. It, it still had some life in it, but I, I stopped nourishing it. I, I threw it aside. This is the view that we have of the wicked. They're ready to be burned. They're waiting to be burned. And on the day of judgment, they will not be able to stand the wrath of God because they're not nourished. They will be burned. When we think about this, this is why I called this the struggle of Psalm 1. Because when we think about the requirements of this psalm in order to be blessed, when we think about the requirements that it takes to be the righteous person, and we think about the requirements that it takes to be the wicked person, who really among us this morning can say, I've never walked in the wicked, in the counsel of the wicked? Pastor Tim, that's never been me. I don't even know what you're talking about. I've never experienced that. Pastor Tim, I've never stood with sinners. I've never sat with scoffers. I, I have never been that person. None of us in here can say that. None of us can stand and say, I meet the requirements of the blessed man. Therefore, everything I do should prosper. That proves my point. Let me ask you this question. Has everything you've done prospered? I highly doubt it. I have a hard time prospering in anything ever, it seems like. Everything I put my mind to and my attention to no matter how hard I try, in the end, when I back up to look at the work I've done, very rarely, if ever, would I say, perfect. It's always, it's a little too salty. That edge could have been sanded a little better. The paint job could look a lot nicer. I think my mower is a little off. The yard doesn't look perfectly flat. I missed that over there. There's always these things that I see are errors. Why? Because not everything I do prospers. In fact, very little of it does. But when I look at the requirements of the ungodly, sometimes I can, I can definitely see myself in that. Where I feel withered. Where I feel dried up. Where I find myself running with sinners. Joining in with the scoffers. I found myself leading and sitting at the table, leading us maybe into sin. 
Now I can see myself there. I, I can think back to many of times in my life where that definitely describes me. And so really when we look at Psalm 1, there is a struggle because we read this and we think, who in the world is this man that is being described in Psalm 1? Because if you notice, it says, blessed is the man. And if you study, this is singular. This isn't a plural man. It's not blessed are the men and the women. No, it's, it's blessed is the man. It's very singular. And when you get down later, it talks about the righteous, which is, which is plural, and the, the wicked, which is plural. But when it's talking about the man, there's only, there's only one here. And I know this for a fact, it's not me. And I also know for a fact, it's none of you. I've talked to you before. I know you. You aren't this. You don't fit this. And so we look at this and we have to struggle and say, well then who, who is this man? Because if there's only one, then I, I need to know who it is. Now, hopefully you know the answer to this. You're sitting in a church building who believes in Christ, who trusts in Christ. We follow Jesus and we know that Jesus is this man. This is why we have to understand that when we read the Old Testament, when we read Psalms, when we read these things, you cannot read them void of the New Testament. You cannot read them void of Christ and what he has done and the works that he has accomplished because he is the one who fulfills this role for us. He is this blessed man. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it says, for God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. We see here that Jesus is perfect. That's what, this, what, that's what that verse tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, 21. The perfection of Christ. Jesus himself never walked in the counsel of the ungodly. He never stood in the path of sinners or sat at the seat of the scornful. And you could say, well, he ate with sinners. He ate with sinners. But he did not live with sinners. He did not participate in their sin. He did not act upon that sin. We see that he was actually perfect in all of his ways. Also, we see in Jesus, his love for the word of God, which this talks about. Matthew chapter five, verse 17. Jesus would say this, he says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law. Don't think I've come to abolish God's word or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but actually to fulfill them. See, Christ loved the word. John, the gospel of John tells us he was the word incarnate. And so when you talk about meditating on the word of God, that was his life. It was always the word of God. Everything he did, everything he said, every act that he ever did was saturated in the word of God because he was the word of God incarnate. You and I both understand that struggle of how hard it can be to read a devotion in the morning and by nighttime you forgot it. You don't even remember what you read. It had no impact on your life at all. You didn't think about it one more time after you shut the book because you said, check mark, got that task accomplished, on to the next one. But that wasn't Christ. Everything he did was saturated in the word of the Father because he was that word incarnate. 
And also we see a relationship in this psalm that the man has with the father of being planted and and prospering. And in John chapter 10, verse 30, Jesus would make this statement, which is very small and concise. He says, I and the father are one. The relationship that Christ had with the father, the son and the, the father together and the importance of that in scripture. What we see, the reason that I'm sharing this is I want us to see the truth that Jesus is the man of Psalm 1. But I want you to think to what was preached last week in Psalm 2. I told you before that they were connected. In Psalm 2, we saw that we needed a king. And we saw that Jesus is that king. As the nations rage, the father had already set his king in place. And it was Jesus, the son, the only begotten son. Now listen, the only reason that Jesus can take the throne as king is because he's the perfect man. It's the only reason. So we have Jesus as the perfect man who fulfills Psalm 1, who then is worthy and has the authority to take the throne in Psalms 2 as our king. There is no kingship without these qualities. You cannot be king. I cannot be a king. And we cannot do this perfectly. And nobody in this world can. Why? Because they cannot fulfill the requirements necessary to be the blessed, perfect man who can be the righteous king. Only Jesus alone is worthy of this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30 through 31, it says, And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. The boast is in the Lord because he alone is worthy. He alone is righteous. He is alone the one who can sit on that throne because he has been perfectly sinless because he alone is the one that everything he does will prosper. That is the kind of king that we need. That is the kind of hope that we need because I think the question that we would have to ask is okay if If Jesus is the man in Psalm 1 and he's the king in Psalm 2, where does that leave me? I mean, I think that's a valid question. Where does that leave us? Because Pastor Tim, the way you're leaving it at this point, I'm chaff that's blowing away and being consumed. Where is there hope in that? That's all good for Jesus. But what does that mean for me in my life? And again, we see hope for us at the end of verse 5 and at the beginning of verse 6. Because at the beginning of verse 6, it says, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous. This is plural. So there's hope. There's hope here. There's more than one righteous. So so what is this? So, So how does this happen? There must be a way to become righteous or to stand at least among the righteous. So how does this happen? Well, the answer is in what I just read in Corinthians. It's it's the righteousness of Christ being bestowed upon us. That we get to have that so that our boast isn't in us. Our boast becomes in the Lord because righteousness, sanctification, and redemption is found in him and in him alone. The perfect man, the perfect king. For those of us who've been saved by God's grace, we understand and we realize Jesus is our righteousness. It's not about my righteousness. Yes, when I look at Psalm 1, 
yeah, I, I'm the chef. I, I am. I, I, I sway to and fro. I, I feel dry at times. I, I don't always meditate on God's word. I don't have this. I understand that that is me, but I also know this. My hope isn't in me. My hope isn't in how nourished I am. My hope is in Christ and in his righteousness. That when the father sees me being saved by his grace, that he sees the righteousness of, of Jesus. And so when he, sees, when he sees Tim, the saved sinner, he sees the man of Psalm 1. Because it's not on my shoulders, it's on Christ and he's fulfilled it. And that's good news. Through Christ, we are made righteous because our sins are washed away. In Romans chapter 5, verse 12 through 17, it explains this, and I, I want you to hear it. Try to follow along. Romans 5, 12 through 17, it says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Verse 15. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in the life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Now listen, this is what this is saying. If through Adam, Adam's sin brought death and destruction, and now all men have sinned, we see that. He's saying if that has happened through Adam, and we see all of these transgressions, all of this stuff, Paul's saying, listen, there is hope. And it's a greater hope. It's, a, it's greater than all of that sin. And it's found in the one man, the blessed man, who is perfect Jesus, who can overcome all of those things, who has overcome all of those things. And so as we sit here today and we look at Psalm 1, we can, yes, see it as a struggle. We can see, I, I can't live up to this standard. But as we understand the truths of it, we then see the glory of this psalm that Christ has met this standard for us, which then allows this psalm to be a blessing to us. Because we know that through Christ, we get to experience these things that are promised here. Oh, it might not be perfect. Because we live in a world that's not perfect. Sin still corrupts even the sinner. We still struggle with sin. And so... Do I always feel like a tree planted by the rivers of water? No. But I do sometimes. There are times when God just completely fills me up and he completely wraps me up with his word and the joy that is felt in there and the peace that is felt in there is astounding. 
It's not every day, don't get me wrong. But I praise God for those times of just exceedingly great joy. But during those times when I feel like the shaft that's being blown to and fro, do you know what I hold on to? I hold on to his word, which says I meditate on it day and night and I hold on to it and I trust it. And what God's word tells me is as I do that, he nourishes me again. He nourishes me again over and over and over again. And now where we might get stuck is we say, yeah, but what about whatever he does shall prosper? Uh, Now on this earth, that's a no for you and me. Because like I said, sin still corrupts. But what we have to know is that everything we do according to God's word, every deed that we do in the, the name of God, again, that is according to his word, listen, there is purpose to it. There is prospering in it. And one day when my life ends, I will know this, that the life I have lived in Christ was not for naught, but there was a purpose to it. And that God loved me enough to save me by his grace. And that when I die, I get to spend eternity with him. And I am an heir to the throne. All things that are his are mine. And so if I have to describe the word prosper, I can't think of a better way to describe it than that. If you're saying at the end of my life, I get to spend it with God and all things that are his are mine, I'd have to say that's a pretty successful life to live. And that's a life that we are promised. And so again, we see these promises. Because of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, I can live a life of verse one. I can overcome walking with the ungodly. I can push sin away through the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse two, God has planted in my heart a love for his word and the truths of it. I do think that's something that needs to define us as Christians. Verse three, because of these blessings through Christ, because he has accomplished this, it is possible for me to be nourished. It is possible for me to produce spiritual fruit in my life and in fact, to reproduce myself as a Christian. I'm able now, because of Jesus and what he has done, I am able actually to go to people who are non-Christians and tell them the good news of the gospel and wait for it to see the gospel actually work. To see God then produce more Christians and more Christians and more Christians. Why? Because of what Christ has done in me. I can experience what it means to live a life of Psalm 23. To know what it's like to have a shepherd who lays me down beside still waters. Who can restore my soul. Right? We, We can know what that feels like. We can experience those times in our life. Why? Because of Christ who's gone before us, who's fulfilled this. And then lastly, what I think of And thinking about the blessings of this psalm. I can be like a branch that is nourished. Why? Because of John 15. I'm attached to the true vine. I've been grafted in. I don't know if you know how grafting works. And if you do, don't come to me after when I said it wrong. But they actually can take a stick from one tree and graft it into a different type of tree. And they will come together And that's how they get hybrid fruits and all these different apples that we like. We don't have to eat red delicious apples anymore. We can eat better ones than that. 
all because of grafting. You and I as Gentiles are grafted into the true and living vine, Jesus Christ. Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. And we get to be nourished and filled through Christ. And it's because he has fulfilled Psalm 1 for us. The last thing I want from you this morning is to leave here looking at Psalm 1 with all kinds of weight and guilt on your shoulders. It would be so easy to preach it that way. It'd be so easy to say, when's the last time you memorized some of God's word? When's the last time you've been in God's word and meditated on it day and night? Do you feel prosperous? Do you feel refreshed? Do you feel restored? If not, sinner. It's easy to preach, but it's just not true. Christ has filled that for you. I want you to leave feeling nourished by him and what he has done. And understand that because he has done that, you can go and memorize scripture. You can meditate it on it day and night. You can overcome sin in your life, not because you're special, but because he's special. And because he's chosen you to be part of his family. And that's a great blessing for us. But now I also have to understand this. There are those in here this morning, no doubt, who you aren't found in Christ. You've never trusted in him as your savior. You are, as this psalm says, you are the wicked, those who are the chaff. But that can change because the great gift of God is Christ. And that invitation extends, the Bible tells us to tell it to everybody that Christ has died for sin. And you can be his if you would trust in him and trust in his life, trust in his death, trust in his burial, trust in his resurrection. That's what it means to be found in him, is to be saved by his great grace. And I hope this morning, if you've never done that yet, that you would, that you would allow Christ to nourish you. Stop finding nourishment from these other sources but find it in the only true source, the branch, the vine that can give life to those branches. I'm gonna ask if you would bow with me and pray this morning. We're gonna sing a song to close like we did last week and we wanna use that time for you to respond to the word of God. We like to give that opportunity each week. We believe that God's word can speak and change our hearts, and so we must respond to that. God, I thank you for your word this morning. God, I I pray that we would see the truth of it. We would see the hope that is in this psalm. God, knowing that you sent your son Jesus and he has met all of those requirements of what it means to be a blessed man, God, that it's not on my shoulders. Yes, when I'm saved by your grace, I I want to obey you. I want to fulfill your laws. I want to do those things. I I need to. I I need to fight sin. I need to overcome sin. But God, I'm thankful that it doesn't rest on me. Because God, even thinking of today being Father's Day, God, I would have to think every dad in here wants to be the best dad. They want to be a good dad and they strive for that. But God, we can all look in our life and we know that even though we want it, even though we may strive for it, 
we can see how we fall short even in that task of, of being a dad. Not to mention all the other things that we must do. And so God, to look at this and to see that this is what it means to be blessed. God, I, I look at that and I realize I can't bear that weight. I realize I will fall short every time if it's up to me to, to be perfect. And so God, that's why today I can stand here and say thank you for sending Jesus to be the perfect one. The one who would come and be perfect and not just be perfect, but then who would die in, in my place so that my sins could be forgiven, so that my lack of perfection could be seen as perfection through him. God, I, I thank you for that. God, this morning, if there's one here who doesn't know the truth of salvation, God, I pray that you'd open their eyes to that truth. But God, for those of us who have been saved by your grace, I pray that we would worship you. I pray that we would praise you, that that would be forefront on our minds every day to serve you with everything that we have because you really are everything that we are. So God, as we close in singing this last song now, I pray that it would mean something to us. <clears throat> I pray that if we sing it, we will mean it honestly. And God, that you would use it to help us to respond to you how we should now, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. You have been listening to a message by Pastor Tim from Together in Christ. This content has been provided to you by Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at mmbconline.org.